Hi, friends. This is Kim Skorupski. Welcome to another episode of the Faculty Factory podcast. And in this fact chat today, I was thinking about succession planning. Recently, uh, my boss, our vice dean for faculty, Dr. Janice Clements, reminded all of us that we need to be thinking about succession planning. Her office has grown quite a bit over the years. Uh, under our vice dean for faculty, there are four offices. I think I've mentioned them before. The Office of Women in Science and Medicine, the Office of Part-Time Faculty, Office of Diversity and Inclusion, and then the Office of Faculty Development. And she also has a component of the registrar's office. We have an assistant dean for faculty information. And then we have a master's level person who is a director of faculty resources. So we have a number of moving parts that fall under our vice team for faculty. And there is a nice group of folks who are uh, advancing in age and thinking about uh, their next step, their transitioning, and their next chapter for retirement. So I think it's on her mind, and, and it was a reminder for us that we need to think about succession. And in fact, a couple of our deans, our senior associate deans, have recently, over the past two years, given up their division director titles. So I'm sure like you, some of the folks who are in your academic affairs and faculty development offices are obviously faculty in other departments, and they have a proportion of their effort spent doing their faculty development roles. So for instance, our uh, associate dean for professional development, Dr. Dave Usum, is in neuroradiology. And up until maybe maybe almost two years ago now, Dave was the division director for neuroradiology, and he gave that up recently. Similarly, our senior associate dean for women, Dr. Barbara Fivish, recently gave up her position of division director in pediatrics. So, you know, it got us all thinking about, well, how, how do you do succession planning when you're in these roles of faculty development? And we've thought about this for a while in terms of involving junior faculty members and maybe mid-career and later career faculty members in faculty development activities. And there are a number of ways we can do that. So we, we talk about you know, of course, all of our leadership programs, we have women's leadership programs for junior women, mid-career women, senior women. We have a co-ed junior faculty leadership program and university-level leadership programs. So the no-brainer is that anybody who's graduated from those leadership programs certainly would be obviously well-suited to give some seminars or workshops or lunch and learns or sessions that are leadership related to other groups and perhaps undergraduate medical students, graduate students, postdocs, residents, fellows, and that sort of thing. So we've talked about, well, let's set up maybe a, a, a mechanism where we would reach out to our graduates of our various leadership programs, provide them with opportunities to teach and to develop a a, a package, if you will, of faculty development-related offerings. And so that's one way we, we toyed with how that would work because, of course, we wouldn't want to just blindly uh, assign people to go off and, and do something without some mentorship from us, some coaching, and making sure that they're comfortable and, um, you know, sharing the same values we have about about training and doing development so we talked about doing that, and then 
sent out a like a little tickler email or just to kind of get a, a vibe on if our graduates were interested. And we had a, a handful of people who said, yeah, that would be interesting to me. And then we let it drop because I think what happened was we just obviously, well, we didn't have the the, I guess, a person dedicated to seeing that process through because it would involve then, of course, get, get, getting everyone together, figuring out who wanted to do what, and then how would you train up that person and then perhaps monitor them or do a, a session with them. And it ended up being a lot of effort, I think, more than we thought it would be. And then we got into this kind of interesting dynamic about the junior faculty members, as pressed as they are for time, this was going to be, at how we conceived it, an uncompensated effort. So we thought, well, oh my gosh, we feel really torn about this. You know, first of all, yes, they're getting an opportunity to add something else to their toolkit and they're put in their belt on their CV of a new, something new that they can offer for their future development as faculty members, as leaders, as maybe possibly getting into a, a deanship role at some point in the future. But then you you weigh that against the fact that they are already stressed and stretched on time. Could we justify or would they be able to justify the time uncompensated again to prepare, rehearse, um, evaluate, and engage in this kind of an activity of offering seminar XYZ? So we kind of let that fall by the wayside and we, and we periodically wrap around to that issue again that it just seems to me, seems to all of us, a, an obvious situation where, you, you know, you have people who've already essentially drunk the Kool-Aid. They get leadership. They, they participated in the process. So surely they'd be willing to spread the word, right? So we have to, I think, revisit that on, on the heels of our, our boss telling us to start thinking about succession planning. And then the other way that we talk about or we think about succession planning is that the faculty themselves can, of course, initiate possibilities or initiate opportunities where many times, I'm sure the same with you, faculty, we always, you know, end of our leadership programs or seminars or workshops with, you know, hey, if you go to another institution or you're traveling or you have colleagues around the country and they're doing ABC and you think, darn, why doesn't Hopkins do that? Just let us know and we'll, we'll be happy to develop that or work with you to figure that out. So when we do that, some people take us up on that and say, you know, well, gosh, why don't we do this? And then, of course, the, the obvious re- response is, well, sure, why not? You want to help us? So along those lines, we had faculty members who were trained in mindfulness-based stress reduction. So our Dr. Netta Gould in psychiatry here was doing mindfulness for patients. And so her mentor said, well, why don't you do it for faculty? So a couple of years ago, she reached out to our office and and we have her now. She is our school of medicine-wide uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction instructor. So she offers her MBSR training. It's a, I think it's eight or 10 weeks long now. I think she offers that three or four times a year. And a portion of her salary is now paid to deliver that programming. We have other faculty members who enjoy teaching writing. So she teaches, we have this Dr. Sarah Poynton, who now teaches a biomedical and scientific writing course. And then because we have so many faculty members who, um, for whom English is not their native language, 
She's developed a, a component of the biomedical and scientific writing course for non-native English speakers. And that's, an, again, another 10-week course where she works people through from beginning of manuscript production to the end with the end goal of being a, a deliverable product to a, a, journal, a journal. Then another faculty member after our, our um, in all of our leadership programs, we do the Myers-Briggs. So... I'm in it certified in the Myers-Briggs. And so after that, she said, have you ever done the Enneagram? And I had actually taken that uh, through a little mediation course. They offered the Enneagram. And so I did it. But of, but of course, I'd never been trained in that. And she said, well, I'm certified in that. And I said, well, okay, wonderful. Well, why don't you offer a session on the Enneagram? So we're, you know, she'll, she'll do that for us this summer. Others have said, I, from our business school, I have, I teach this finance course and it's, um, for helping physicians get a handle on their finances personally and building their academic careers. So we have Dr. Yuval Barr Orr from the business school who now offers financial literacy courses for our physicians. And, um, oh, someone else was, a, was doing Tai Chi and yoga and they wanted to offer that for faculty. So of course we try to accommodate all those. So that, that's what, you know, got me thinking about succession planning where we can actually, we can reach out from our end to graduates and people who've shown a certain interest in in things. So we can reach out to them and faculty can reach out to us and we can try to encourage that level of engagement with faculty and faculty development or academic affairs kinds of issues. And I guess until we formalize that or or, or if we're able to offer some kind of remuneration, at least it's opportunities for faculty to dip their toes in the water and see if if this kind of work interests them. And then ideally, of course, in the ideal world, if we were to get an endowment or something, that would be wonderful where we could pay a portion of a lot more faculty's time to to offer courses and training and, and seminars and sessions on, on various development-related activities. And I'm sure like you at Hopkins, we also work really closely with our human resources office and we have a talent management and organization development group and they have a lot of um, expertise with training as well but so that's what I've been thinking about lately succession planning how do we how do we operationalize that how do we work with our faculty who are junior level who have graduated from our programs who come to us with ideas and are curious about offering something or have seen something else offered elsewhere and then of course we have um our retirees or late career faculty members who maybe have always thought they might want to explore uh, something new and and might be able to take some time now as they're transitioning into getting away from either clinic time or getting away from grant writing time to work more deliberately with younger faculty on writing papers or specific games of grants or teaching. So, or maybe older um, retiring faculty members have read a great book or they've attended a conference or a seminar and they'd like to develop some course, um, some courses or faculty development offerings. So there's lots of opportunity and like anything else, um, just, you know, limited time and resources sometimes to think about these things or implement them. But we've been thinking a lot about succession planning and that's just because was on the top of my head uh, today. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement 
in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.